We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When it's too tough for them, it's just right for us. Where would you rather be than right here, right now? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Bills make me wanna. Smith opening it up, going for Macklin, who's got some space. Got the ball down at the three. I had no idea about the uh, the catch by Macklin, or you know the one that that uh, was not a catch until I came down after uh, you know for the press conference, and uh, you guys asked me about it, and I was like, like I, I that's I had no idea that that was even in question. The Hogan one was a bang bang play. I never thought it was going to be reversed, so that's why I thought he caught it. But I was like, I think it's too close to. Uh, to call whether he had it or not. And so I was like, you know, I, I wasn't going to do it then. Welcome to your Week 13 Rockpile Report. This is Drew Gear. I've got Chris Kruger producing. And that was Kevin Harlan from CBS Sports and Rex Ryan from BuffaloBills.com. Rex, I'm glad that, it, you know, even by Week 12, at least now you've figured out the challenge system, you know, and how it works, considering you're a first-year head coach and that those things kind of take some t- Wait. What's that, Chris? He's he's not a first-year head coach. He's had no. He's been around. He's been around the block. Oh, he's been around. Oh, okay. I guess. guess. (laughs) Boys and girls, how are we all feeling today? Hopefully, this thing has kind of worn off some. I don't. I don't even know what else to say. We went into a must-win football game. The second of two that we ultimately needed to have in order to cement ourselves as a, a solid candidate for the wild card race. And we just shit the bed. I, I don't know. Nothing to do but get right into the recap. The Bills dropped to 5-6 and six after a crushing loss to the Kansas City Chiefs on the road. Another game in which the win was right there for the taking. But a, a lack of execution and just untimely turnovers doomed us. You blew it! Hey, let's get right into it. It was a perfect example of good Tyrod versus bad Tyrod. We couldn't do diddly poo offensively. I wouldn't say offensively. I'd say in the second half. Now, in the first half, Tyrod Taylor looked poised in the pocket. He went to Sammy Watkins early and often, and it 
spotted us a 10-point lead. And then, I mean, he, he was instrumental in getting those 10 points, the long catch on the, for the field goal, then the touchdown catch. But then from that point, their defense made adjustments. I mean, even after losing their best pass rusher, you know, Justin Houston goes out with a knee injury, they still managed to make Tyrod so uncomfortable in the pocket that he couldn't connect on any more of those deep balls. They figured out how to roll their coverages. They figured out how to take Sammy Watkins away. And they knew that Tyrod wouldn't throw to him unless he was clearly open. I thought that they said in the second half that they put a safety, like, way deep to to play uh, Sammy so they don't get burned on any deep balls. Well, yeah, and it scared, it scared Tyrod Taylor away from even trying to throw to Sammy Watkins again. Why not run uh, underneath routes? Right. Well, Wasn't Sammy known for his uh, wide receiver screens at Clemson? Yeah. Short passes. The thing is, is we've got an offensive coordinator and a quarterback who can't seem to find one of the best and possibly most talented players in our offense, and you see what the result is. I mean, from there, they blanketed the other wide receivers on our team, and so our hot start, by the second half, he was almost completely ineffective for most of it, outside of that touchdown pass to LaShawn McCoy. Second point here is that the defense just has not been who we've needed them to be. They've been dominant against bad football teams. And then, you know, it's Jekyll and Hyde with them. Are, are you getting the dominant football team that you see play the Colts, or are you getting the team that played on Sunday? And I think early on it was attributed to Ryan not being comfortable with our players' abilities. But there's no excuse for what happened on Sunday. I said it last week. Alex Smith was last in the league in air yards per pass. But against our cornerbacks, he, we made him look like Aaron Rodgers. Jeremy Macklin isn't Demarius Thomas, but you couldn't tell the two apart. He looked more like Demarius Thomas than Demarius did. He caught three deep balls combined for 110 yards. All in all, that was on three passes. He had 110 yards. He sh- they shredded us deep. Darby just, for whatever reason, managed to get beat. I understand one of those should have been called back, but we have a coach who doesn't understand how challenges work. In all, Macklin put up nine catches for 160 yards and a touchdown. I think that's the most we've given up to one receiver all year. That's probably the most receiving yards Kansas City's had in three years. And then you, but, but I could understand being soft against the pass if you were trying to play the run, but they didn't play the run well either. Okay. If Jamal Charles had been in this game, it would have been a complete blowout. Think about this. They put up 111, 111 yards rushing and a touchdown. Okay, Not only did they get well more than 100 yards, but 111 yards rushing and a touchdown by running straight up the middle of our defense. A, a week ago, that was the strength of our team. And this week, we couldn't, we couldn't do anything to stop it. They ran down our throats. I know Darius was nursing an injury, and I, I get it that Bradham, you know, him losing him doesn't help because A.J. Tarpley was awful. I don't blame them for cutting him this week. He, he proved to be someone who's completely useless outside of special teams, and he's mediocre at that. But the Chiefs' success in that deep area of the field is what committed us to, in the second half, opening us up to those deep Macklin, those deep Macklin passes because we had to commit our safeties to the box to try to stop them from pounding the ball up the middle the way they had been in the first and sec- early second half. Well, why would, as a Bills fan so far this year, I would be completely fine with watching Gilmore and Darby 
play one-on-one coverage because they've been the two of the best corners this season. They were running the ball down our throats, and we put those. Yeah, you, you would think so. And then what happened is Darby got beat. Darby got beat a couple times this week. And that ultimately, I mean, though, Macklin's long catches were daggers because they scored on every single one of them. And we didn't challenge on one of them. More, Moving on, more penalties and poor execution. Okay, so for another straight week, we had more untimely turnovers that directly led to points for the opponent and in a, in a whole slew of penalties. I mean, you get called for nine, nine fouls for 91 total yards. You gave up almost a football field's worth of penalties. It's just not acceptable. Rex has to get this. This is a coaching point now. It's gone beyond players. And I said it. Jerry Hughes, I told my mother as we were watching the game at my parents' house, I told my mother that Jerry Hughes is always good for one stupid penalty a game. The guy just can't get it through his head. The coaches can't coach it out of him. And there he was with a ticky-tack, you can call it a ticky-tack roughing the quarterback where he pretended he was backing up and just happened to run over Alex Smith. But they've proven time and time again they're not going to take the kind of crap. So we shouldn't take that crap from our D-end. He's making too much money to be a constant penalty liability out there on the field. That's not the mark of a winning football team, and our record clearly reflects it. Okay. You can't fumble the ball in field goal range on either end of the field. If, we're, if we can kick a field goal from some spot in their territory, you can't afford to fumble the football. Just the same, if you're Tyrod Taylor, you have to step up into the pocket. when th- everyone, everyone was blaming the offensive line for that sack. If you look, they provided, they made everyone go wide, and they provided a clean pocket for Tyrod to step up into, and he failed to do so and directly resulted in a fumble which they then turned into a touchdown. Winning football teams don't constantly shoot themselves in the foot the way our team does. You see it in the numbers. You see it on the tape. You see it on Sundays when we're all screaming and throwing beers at our TV. Or everyone does that, right? Screams, yells some profanity, throws some furniture. I kept yelling at my wife that they should challenge. (laughs) Challenge it. And I'm sure Shannon was just sitting there going, I, "What?" Shan, Shan, my wife was just playing on her phone, and I'm just I'm watching the Bills game. Challenge it. She says foosball. Challenge it. Foosball. What? What are you challenging foosball? <laughs> like that? Hit the ground. Challenge it. Well, that leads me right into our last point: poor coaching decisions. I've I've been pretty brutal on this staff all season, but so have most fans. And once again, Rex's lack of savvy cost us. Twice passes that should have been challenged, one for them, one for us, didn't get challenged. But then he decides to throw the challenge flag on the one that was clearly a catch. I got up and went to get a beer because I knew the way it was going to end. Well, let's look at the uh, one of the challenges that he lost on uh, Bob Woods. If you remember that catch, Bob Woods juggled a catch and didn't catch it, and then he got up and looked at Rex like, "You got, I know I caught that. You got to challenge it." And listened to his player, and he challenged. And then you have Chris Hogan catch a crossing route, take four steps, get hit, and hit the ground, and fumble, or the ground causes the fumble. It was a brutal call. I get it. And in fact, we have a clip of Hogan talking about that exact scenario here from BuffaloBills.com. 
Uh, no, I didn't really know what the situation was. I know we kind of were limited on, on challenges and timeouts, so it was kind of a you know an up-in-the-air call. I understand why we didn't, just because of that point in the game. You know, we couldn't afford to you know challenge or, or lose a timeout. Hogan, if you know you caught the ball, look at your coach. Tell him, Coach, I caught it. Throw the damn flag. No, I'll wait one play and throw it for a spot challenge. You kidding? You kidding me? <laughs> and then again, Rex's seeming lack of control over this defense is maddening. We don't make in-game adjustments when we need to. I mean, we've get this is the story that's been told over and over and over again for the last decade as far as Bills fans are concerned. And it leads to the other team eventually just dictating the way the game flows to us rather than the other way around. It's Holy and utterly maddening, and I have a hard time not just bursting at the seams with profanity when I watch these games. Because some of what I see is just wholly frustrating. Yeah, you watch, you watch the game, and then you vent on Twitter, and then everyone else on Twitter sees it, and everybody else is just being a, a couch coach. How does Rex not see this? And we know we're all we're right. With the drops and uh, some of the defensive schemes that they laid out in the uh, second half once Kansas City started to run the ball down our throat. I don't know. It was, it was a deflating game. I, uh, it was rough. Monday morning was rough. Sunday night was rough. We're going to finish this off with the uh, hero and zero of the game. And my hero of the game this week is LaShawn McCoy. So that is why I am better than everyone in the world. Kiss my suck my everyone. Let me ask you this. Why not Sammy Watkins in that? Was it just because he did his thing in one half? Because he disappeared after the second half. After, the, after halftime, I, f- I forgot he was even on our team. Sorry. LaShawn McCoy continues to be the one consistent part of our offense. He's around in every quarter. He moves the ball when we need it to be moved. He scores our touchdowns, and without him, we would absolutely be in deep trouble. (laughs) Whether it's in the passing game, rushing game, he is the engine that makes our offense run. It's not Tyrod. It's not Sammy. It's LaShawn McCoy. And I can, you know, we're all starting to see why our coach traded for him. And they even said that at the beginning of the year, that they were going to be a running team. And, you know, we were without him for a couple weeks. And that's our best games that we've played. We've had a great running game with Shady and Carlos. My zero of the week this week goes to Dennis Thurman. Move this man! I get it. The Bills sustained injuries. So did the Chiefs. They lost their best pass rusher and their right tackle. So they still found a way to completely contain our offense. And, you know, they started the game firing on all cylinders. Their defense, well, once, you know, once they hit their stride on offense, we didn't adjust the way they did. And it cost us the football game. The most damning play of the entire thing, and I tweeted it out, was the fact that on third and three, when you know, when you know that they're going to run the football, They'll, they'll kick a field goal and give us a shot at a touchdown if you make them. Instead, we allow them to get five yards. When you absolutely know that they are doing nothing but running the football with a minute left on the clock in the fourth quarter when they're nursing a lead. 
They're not going to do anything crazy. They're going to run the football. And we let them get a first down anyway. It's... How about the Macklin touchdown? Let's, let's give our $100 million defensive tackle... Drop him in coverage. Are yeah. you kidding me? If I see Marcel Darius dropping into coverage one more time this season, I'm liable to break things. Dennis, you know what? You might be a good guy. Get away from my football team. Yeah, get the hell out of here. I can't get this guy out of Buffalo fast enough. I would rather have Dave Wanstead and his 1993 defensive schemes than have Dennis Thurman running my defense. If I have to say, like I said, Mar- Mario Williams, Marcel Darius, Kyle Williams— Jerry Hughes. Maybe Jerry Hughes because he's fast enough to keep up with Gronkowski on the fly. But outside of him and Manny Lawson, I don't want to see any of these guys dropping into coverage. You get after the quarterback. That's what we pay you to do. Clock up running lanes and get up to the quarterback. We don't pay Marcel Darius to cover a zone. That's not what we do. He can't move to cover a zone. All I can do is hope that hope and pray that Dennis Thurman won't be here to do it next year. Exactly. Rex has to get rid of him after the season. But, guys, it's okay, right? It's just one game. I mean, wh- what, what's one loss? Nate, didn't we decide that you shouldn't listen to the ball game? Don't worry, Dr. B. It's just a regular season game. Not that important. Uh-huh. See? Iverson just missed a layup at the buzzer. Sixers lose. Who gives a crap, huh? I mean, it's just a silly game anyways. Sharks are swimming in my head. You gotta dump that. Shit. You gotta dump that. Shit. Oh, hey, Nate, Nate, oh. Listen to me. Stay with me. Nate. Now repeat after me. Goose from Is everybody out there ready to take a deep breath with me? Good. Goose from Good. Now let's continue. I'm going to crack a fresh beer, and we're going to get back into this. All right. So let's take a look at the AFC playoff picture as it stands today. The Buffalo Bills are officially eliminated from the AFC East race. I mean, as if that wasn't a foregone conclusion. And now our only chance of the postseason this, you know, this year is by clinching a wild card berth. And we're stuck sitting in the 10th spot. Oh, no! We suck again! However, even the most of us, myself included, may have been completely inconsolable until probably sometime around 2 o'clock this afternoon when it came to talking about football. We still have the faintest glimmer of hope because we're really only one game out of the big show. Uh, Playoffs? Don't talk about playoffs. You kidding me? Playoffs? We're going to start it off by counting down the uh, the top dogs here in the AFC, the uh, division leaders, as we will. Because they're winners. Winners get to do what they want. The Patriots, still on top, but no longer perfect. Talk about an awesome game to watch. If there was anything that was going to instill, you know, more a little bit of football goodwill in me on a Sunday after watching my team play a brutal game and have a loss like that, is to watch Tom Brady not only lose, lose in overtime 
on the first rushing play the Broncos had in overtime and then watch him run straight to the locker room, not even have the class to stick around and shake anyone's hand. I'm sorry, to hell with that guy. Can we all agree that he sucks? Can we all agree that, not as a football player, because as a football player, he's the best quarterback that arguably that ever played. Clearly the best quarterback in our division and maybe in our conference. But just at life in general, the guy sucks. I have a I have a hard time deciding if Tom Brady is a punk ass bitch or a bitch ass punk. <laughs> all I know is is that they've all but clinched home field advantage. They've got pretty smooth sailing for the rest of the season. I, they play three pretty beatable teams. They've got Philly, Houston, and Tennessee in their next three. Hilariously enough, though. The crew. Now, I'm sure if anyone was watching the football game, they saw Tom Brady bitching up a storm at the referees, yelling about the calls and how bad they were. Well, he wasn't wrong. The NFL recognized they made a lot of poor calls and demoted them. You know, they they were supposed to be scheduled for Sunday Night Football next week, and they got demoted to a 1 o'clock game. (laughs) That 1 o'clock game happens to be the Patriots-Eagles game. (laughs) What are the odds of that? Take that, Tom Brady, you suck bag. Next up, we got the Bengals. They cruised to a win over St. Louis, and since he looks like they're probably going to take that second buy into the postseason for the first time in years, maybe decades. Their next three games are against Cleveland, Pittsburgh, and San Francisco. And at the end of that, we're going to have it. I mean, if they can play well, they Watch should out. be able to wrap all that Watch up. Watch out for Austin Davis. <laughs> On ESPN last night, if anyone was out there, this is a complete sidebar. ESPN, NFL, the NFL today, counted down the top six. Most, they called it the most Cleveland Brown moments in NFL history. Or I think it was maybe in just the last decade or two. Mm, no. no. The last week. No, because what they did well, because what they did was they counted down all of the ridiculous ways the Browns have lost football games, and after watching some of those, it actually made me feel better as a Bills fan. Yeah, I woke up Tuesday morning and looked on my tablet and went to the Yahoo Sports app, and I saw that they lost on a block field goal as Return time expired. For a touchdown. I was like, that is, that's so Cleveland. They showed another play where they stopped Kansas City from like Kansas City wound up to kick a field goal. And they shanked it. And everyone's celebrating as time expires. Everyone's going crazy because it's over. Oh, and the guy took his helmet off and The guy threw took it. his helmet off and threw 15-yard penalty? Oh, no. That was the failed lateral. A lateral failed, and they called a 15-yard penalty, and they kicked the game-winning field goal. And the Browns lost. Oh. That, Bill- is, that is why Cleveland is the mistake on the lake. Bills Nation, just, just after everything, you know, as much complaining as we do, just thank God you're not Cleveland. So... Denver, okay, they pull off a huge win over the, you know, albeit injury-plagued Patriots in overtime. I mean, Gronkowski going down was huge because to start that first drive in OT, the Patriots had, he, he was scrambling to try to find guys to throw to in the first place. So the Broncos get the win. They're all pumped up and full of themselves because they got a hot streak going. And they've got some easy games coming up. Chargers and Raiders in their next two. That gives them time for their starters on defense and their star quarterback and Peyton Manning to rest up. You know, I, I'd keep him benched too. I'd sit him for at least the next two football games because those are two very winnable games. 
Their matchup against Cincy in week six, you know, what is it, 15 or 16 on Monday Night Football could very well determine who gets the second bye. And that's probably going to be one of the more enter- Monday Night Fo- entertaining Monday Night Football games to end the season. I thought Monday was. What are you talking about? <laughs> Monday, Monday's game, Monday night's game, right? Cleveland, Baltimore. Who you know? <laughs> Matchup of the century. When you schedule that game, you don't take. They're not considering the fact that everybody on all of those teams would just be injured. Like at least a third of their starters on both sides are on IR. That's why Sunday night gets the best of the primetime package because they have the ability to flex with an afternoon game. Well, whatever the case may be, those three teams are just running away with this, and I don't see anybody in the I don't see anyone in their divisions catching them. And then you drop down into the middle of the pack of our conference, which seems to be something of a quagmire. Dogs, I want you to go home. Get off my bumper! It starts with the Colts. Now I get it; they're a division winner, but and it, it, they're still right in the mix there because of their almost losing record. Matt Hasselbeck engineers a win over the Tampa Bay Bucks, who have been hot as of late. And they're tied for a division lead with Houston. And they, they're, but they're only holding it based, they're only holding their division right now at this point based on a tiebreaker. They have no choice but to keep winning. And they've got games against Pittsburgh, Jacksonville, and Houston. If they can't keep it afloat without Andrew Luck in the lineup, those early season losses to Buffalo and New York might actually come into play. I mean, think about it. They they could go from out of their division lead to 10th place very quickly. I still feel Indianapolis is going to win that division, whether it is Hasselbeck or Andrew Luck at quarterback. We'll have to see. I mean, I, I don't know. None of the other teams have legitimate quarterbacks. Mariota and Bortles aren't ready yet for the limelight. You can keep saying that. Next up is the Chiefs holding the sixth spot. Well, the five spot right now, you know, following their win over Buffalo. They have the easiest schedule in the NFL from here on out. So barring some kind of catastrophe, they're going to hang on to this position for a while. I mean, at this point, if they can keep their momentum. I believe, I believe no they, play, they play Oakland twice. They play Oakland twice. They get San Diego at home. I mean, it doesn't get a whole lot easier than that. They're going to roll into this postseason, and they're going to be a, a significant wild card contender going forward. Well, even if they got the, even if they end up in the playoffs, at the five spot, they're playing the AFC South, the four seed, and I'd take the Chiefs over the AFC South winner any day of the week, you no, know, regardless of who it is, whether it's Houston, Jacksonville, Tennessee, or Indianapolis. Yeah, I guess I can see the logic behind that. Then you, next up, you've got the Texans sitting just outside the wild card position. Their young players on defense have finally started playing good football, and it's showing in the record. And look at them. They've been hot ever since they're by, and even the game before that. Yeah. They've got the sixth spot, and they enter a stretch of games that's going to determine their postseason fate. They get to play Buffalo, New England, and Indy in their next three. All of those games no, – Ours is probably the easiest of the games they'll face because the Indianapolis game is on the road. You can expect J.J. Watt to do something ridiculous to us. Mm-hmm. The question is, can they hang on to it? The Jets, the Jets are sitting right outside there with, you know, they come in this week and they just rolled the Dolphins. 
But in all honesty, who hasn't done that this season? We did it twice. (laughs) They're on their way to competing for a top 10 draft pick, not a playoff spot. So to see them beat up on a team like that, it proves that they're a competent football team, but it doesn't mean they're a true playoff contender. Their offense has been bad against most of the competitive defenses they've played, but their defense is finally getting healthy, and that might make up some for their lack of offensive production. Their schedule coming up, the Giants, Tennessee, and now a Romo-less Dallas, they're going to be in this thing until the end, too. They're another team. It's not going to go away because those teams that they're, they're playing don't look that scary anymore. Did the Giants look scary against us? I hate you. I'll take the Giants over the Jets, I'll tell you that. But the other two, you give me the Jets, Tennessee and Dallas. And then you've got the Steelers. They lost one of the one of the most exciting games of the week to the Seahawks. I mean, it was a high-scoring affair. There was a lot of big plays made. They're right in the thick of the wild-card pack. But I'll be honest, the losses that they've sustained on their offensive line this season – You can't tell me that that's not having an effect on Ben Roethlisberger. The guy's been beat up all year. Oh, he's just been getting battered, concussion. Now he's in the concussion protocol. He had an MCL injury earlier in the season. He thinks he'll play, but they need him to because they've got games against Cincinnati, Denver, and Indianapolis. And I don't know that they can win all of those games without Ben Roethlisberger behind center. Have you got Landry Jones starting those games? 0-3. It's to our benefit, but it'll you know it remains to be seen what'll happen. Yeah, where we are right now, we need all the goddamn help we can get. And then the Raiders. The Raiders are ahead of us. They're right there. They want a close one over the Titans. But in all reality, their upcoming schedule's not kind. They have to travel to Denver. Being and then well, they travel to Denver in two weeks. Then they have home games, but they're against Kansas City and Green Bay. Do you trust them to pull off those games? No, not at all. There's another slew of games where I could definitely see that team going 0-3. Derek Carr would have to be like on his absolute A game to take down Denver, Kansas City, and Green Bay. All I know is we need them to go down and stay there. We need them to... We need the other teams in this in this conference to take care of business against them and kind of push them down that ladder. If we have any hope for a wild card berth. So how do you feel, guys? I've just outlined everyone who stands in our way to the postseason and where they sit. Is anyone out there confident about this? I'll be honest, I'm not. I am not confident at all. Even before the season, Sunday, I have a loss at the Texans because I think J.J. Watt is going to do something ridiculous. Well, I'll tell you this. Our playoff hopes are on life support as of today. This, this upcoming game against Houston is critical to our team's chances moving forward. I mean, we've got the opportunity to beat another one of the teams that are standing in our way of breaking the 15-year drought. The question is, do we have what it takes to beat them? What kind of stupid-ass question is that? It's, it's, it's a bad one. Let's get right into this. So who, we, who are the Houston Texans? I mean, you, I don't know if everyone here spends a lot of time watching Houston football. So just to familiarize you with what we're going to see on Sunday, it all starts with J.J. Watt. 
The guy's like a great white shark. He's always lurking somewhere on the line. And sometimes double teams, triple teams, sometimes it's just not enough to stop him. The guy gets in there and makes plays. He leads his position group as a 3-4 D end with 13 sacks and 29 quarterback hits. I think I saw a tweet uh, this week from uh, Joe B., who had said that uh, Mills was taking reps with the first team at right tackle. Thank God. Henderson's been uh, he's been terrible. You would rather have – who would you rather have, Henderson or Mills, go up this, against go Watt? There. I will go out there and play right tackle if it means Henderson doesn't see any more time in the line. He's that bad. I'd rather just go out there and do it myself. <laughs> As ridiculous as that sounds. The guy's awful. I expect to see a right tackle in, at the top of our draft class this coming year. Yeah, we'll get that to that at the end of the season in a few months. With All our- I know is last week, J.J. Watt posted his second highest pass rushing grade, according to Pro Football Focus, of his entire career. And I'll tell you what, it's not a coincidence. His line mates are finally starting to play together as a unit. Will Fork is finally starting to gel in with the rest of that line. People forget Vince Wilfork is on their team, and he's if his last year in New England was any indicator, the guy hasn't slowed down with age. Okay, he's still a run stuffing D tackle. And Clowney is now finally starting, you know, he's finally healthy enough to establish himself as a professional. You've got Whitney Merciless, who only had one game this season where he posted a negative stat line for pass rushing. Between you know between the three pass rushers, Clowney, Merciless, and Watt, the three of them play any position on the line on any given play, which makes them it's it's an offensive coordinator's worst nightmare because you have pass rushers coming from all different angles. You know they get after the quarterback and they create pressure without the need to blitz, and that gives them the ability to help roll their coverages and clog up the seams with in the box safeties and linebackers. Yeah, they take those short to try to, you know, intermediate passes away. In the past couple weeks, they've, I mean, look, look who they've beaten in the last three weeks. They've beaten the New Orleans Saints with Drew Brees. The, held them to six points. Held them to six points. They beat Dalton. They beat Dalton and the Cincinnati Bengals. Again, six points, right? Ten mm-hmm. to six on Monday night. And then you think about it, wide receivers out there. A.J. Green, Brandon Marshall, you know, Cooks, Brandon Cooks. They've managed to shut all these players down. Okay. Their defense right now, according to Pro Football Focus, is the fifth-ranked unit in the NFL. They've late, And the one difference that I see in looking at who they were early and who they were now is they've started to play more. They've started to play more four D line, four man, you know, four man line, you know, instead of their base. 3-4 defense. They play f- more th- four-man four line. They don't need to blitz anymore because now that they've got healthy pass rushers, they're killing it. So then they go to the nickel package more often than not in order to clog up those lanes. You know, they, they can cover the flats more easily with a safety as an in-the-box linebacker or with a maybe a, fast, a little bit faster coverage linebacker or, you know, maybe they'll just flood the field with cornerbacks on a given play. If they think that you're going, you know, you're too wide, but you're probably going to try to hit your tight end, they'll put faster guys out there. And it's limiting teams and hurting their defense because they don't need to blitz in order for their pass rush to get home. 
with what they've done in the recent weeks by shutting down Brandon Cooks, uh, Brandon Marshall, and A.J. Green, will probably uh, help out Houston's defense. Because when it comes to Houston covering Sammy Watkins, we're going to help him out by not throwing the ball to Watkins. Well, they've got a guy on their team who's in this almost the complete opposite situation of Sammy Watkins. Think about this. Their offense, I said think about this again. <laughs> Don't worry, that's all, I've been keeping track over here. That's only Oh, the, God, what am I at? Two. That was the second time you've said it. Nice. <laughs> their offense flows through DeAndre Hopkins. Now, they've had a lot of inconsistency at the quarterback position. They've had three different starters this season. And yet, no matter who plays, one thing remains the same. Hopkins is the man. He's abused teams all season, which anybody who plays fantasy football probably already knows. You've, prob- you've probably had him go off against you for some ludicrous score. And you wonder, how is he doing it? Because they feed him the ball. His stats during their most recent winning streak, are a str- they just speak to that in volumes. He's averaging 10 targets, five catches, and 70 yards with a touchdown per game this season. Do they, per game. Do they throw uh, the ball to him when he's double teamed? They throw the ball to him all of the time. It doesn't matter where he is on the field. That'd be nice if the Bills could do that with Sammy Watkins, you know, throw it to him and let him make a play on the ball. Here's, here's a terrifying statistic. The one place, now think about this, 31 targets over their list in their wins. The games that they've won, he's been targeted 31 times. Let's call their last four wins. 31 targets in the last four wins, only six of them were over the middle. So you'd think to yourself, okay, so he's just not a guy who's willing to go across the middle. We can push him to the boundaries. He burned the Jets for a 61-yard touchdown pass directly up the middle of their defense. The guy can go anywhere. He'll catch the ball anywhere. He's a deep target, a short target. Their quarterback understands. It doesn't matter who's behind center for them. They understand that that is where you go with the football is DeAndre Hopkins early and often, and he's paying dividends to that team. Hopefully, watching him this week will give Greg Roman the epiphany to realize that Sammy Watkins has the ability to be the same type of player. They came from the same college. They played together. (sighs) Our secondary can't play DeAndre Hopkins this week like they played Macklin last week, or we're in a lot of trouble. So are you calling for uh, safety help over the top for Gilmore or Darby, whoever's going to be covering Hopkins? You have to. You have to put bracket coverage on him and maybe even commit a third guy on some plays in obvious passing situations. Make somebody else on that team step up and beat you. Because I'll tell you what, if you give Hopkins the opportunity, he's going to take advantage of it. I'll tell you what you can expect. Expect, as I said earlier, expect on Sunday when you're watching the game, the Houston Texans are going to rush four for most of the game because they're going to spend a lot of their time playing out of their subsets, their nickel and dime packages. It discourages teams from throwing at their slower linebackers in coverage, you know, and it takes advantage of the fact that their defensive line is extremely talented. 
they like their one of their favorite things is to put Clowney and Watt in the you know Watt goes on the right tackle and Clowney plays in the right guard position. That in and of itself is enough to force most quarterbacks to their left. Most quarterbacks in the NFL are right-handed. So it's not coincidence. They're forcing quarterbacks into incompletions by making them uncomfortable and rolling to places where they have to throw without their feet planted. There's a science to this. And this is how they've started winning. As soon as they started committing to this kind of a theory, they started winning football games. Romeo Cornell is no idiot as a defensive coordinator. And then on obvious running downs, they'll, they're not afraid to put Clowney and Watt both straight up the middle in order to discourage you from trying to run on them. On offense, they don't take a whole lot of deep shots. I mean, it could be by design, considering, think about, think about this. Here's another thing that I recommend you think about. <laughs> Brian Hoyer is 29th in the NFL in deep completion percentage. I think part of that's because he only has one viable target for them. All he can do is throw it up and hope DeAndre Hopkins comes down with it. They've also been beat up at quarterback, you know, since the season started. I will say that after watching the tape, though, last week of Ron Darby just getting beaten like a drum, they're going to test him. They're going to test him to see if he's learned and whether or not he can cover Hopkins. They're going to roll him to that side of the field. And unless we're willing to legitimately just put Gilmore on him as a spy, no matter where he goes on the field, you're going to see them try to catch us with that. They're going to test us deep early and often. I mean, they're the 30th ranked team in the NFL in the yards after catch department, but they have the 13th ranked passing offense. It's because of DeAndre Hopkins. So they're going to go deep, and we need to be ready for that test. Are you scared, Chris? Yeah, I said the, the Texans are going to win the game because J.J. Watt is just going to do something amazing. I don't think you should panic. The team, I, I, they're I'm not panicking. I already know that we're out of the playoffs, even though we're not mathematically eliminated. Okay. Using Buffalo math, we're eliminated. Using Buffalo math? What is Buffalo math? We have six losses. We're out. <laughs> oh, you have little faith. And you call yourself a Bills fan. You were the one selling your ticket or taking offers on uh, for this game based on the way we played against Kansas City. Well, you got to see what's out there. I'm an idiot if I don't shop that ticket around just to see if anybody wants to jump on the bandwagon <laughs> when, when things get dire. Anyone's looking to be a hero. No, I was actually, I was very, I was furious after the game. I made some statements I probably regret now. But looking back on it, my friends reminded me that that's not why we do it. We show up to the game to root on our team whether they win or lose, right? That's why we love them. That's why you're here doing this in my kitchen right now, watching me <laughs> suck down beers and yes. yell into a microphone. Yes. So having said that, this is a football team that can be beaten. I mean, they didn't lose five games by accident. I decided to take some time and break down how they lost each of those games. Okay. I found some things that are kind of interesting. In losses to the Chiefs, Colts, Panthers, and Dolphins, they were consistently beaten on short passes. It's not even close if you take a look at the numbers. Over those four games, the Texans allowed an average of 17 and a quarter completions for 185 yards per game. 
on short passes. Meanwhile, on deep passes, they only allowed one and a quarter completions for 37 and a quarter yards. It seems that the way to beat this defense early on in the season was to focus on the short routes, screen passes, throws into the flat. That's why, I, like I said earlier, they've been playing more nickel, and it's resulted in them winning football games. They made, they made that switch because they realized teams weren't throwing deep on them. They were just beating them short because their cornerbacks aren't that good. There's going to be opportunities there if you can execute those short routes. Load up and run formations, two tight end sets. Let's get Matt Mulligan involved. Let's get him out there. Let's get two tight ends, and let's try to find Clay. Let's find Shady in the flat. Let's get Sammy on some slant routes and see if he can't work the middle of the field. There are going to be plays there to be made because outside of their defensive line, their linebackers, I mean, Connor, what's his face? Brian Cushing. Brian Cushing. Who's their other, who's their other linebacker? Yeah, exactly. Nobody Don't knows. Know. So if you can spread them out and get them to try to overcommit the guys, there's room for plays to be made short in front of them, and they've allowed a ton of yards after the catch. That is our only hope on offense. You know, we got to screen passes, things in the flat, that is, and establishing the run game early. That's what's going to keep us in this game. And then when you take a look at what the Texans have done during those losses on offense, they have a real lack of top-end talent at running back. So when you look at the games that they lost, Arian Foster wasn't around. In those four losses, they averaged less than 80 yards rushing per game. But even worse, they averaged less than 35 yards per game outside of the tackle box. I, mean, I know our linebackers are banged up, but it's going to be on our linebackers and our D-line to hem this running game inside and force them to try to run up the middle on us because that's how teams have had success. If you're going to beat them, you can't let them get off tackle. If you try to make them run between the tackles, they're, they're just not good at it. And if we can stop that, we have a shot at keeping their offense in check and making them one-dimensional. So I foresee a lot of heavy sets. I mean, I know we just signed a nose tackle to replace Alex Carrington because he's out for the season. But I honestly expect to see a lot of heavy sets against them, trying to run up the middle, trying to force them into the middle of our defense and bottle them up. So, Chris, what are you predicting? Now, you've already said you predict a loss. What's the score in your opinion? Well, it's going to be one in the trenches. We have an excellent defensive line. They have an excellent defensive line. Hang on. Do we have an excellent defensive line? I mean, if Mario Williams wants to sit around and cry about how much his foot hurts, we're basically playing Darius and Hughes along with a bunch of people that no one knows their names. I would say just Hughes because remember we dropped Marcel into coverage. (laughs) You... I think this is going to come down to the trenches. Our defensive line against their offensive line and vice versa there because they have a great defensive line. I think it'll be a little bit of a low-scoring game. I'm calling 17-13 to 13 Houston Texans. And J.J. Watt has a touchdown. You're calling a J.J. Watt touchdown. Calling a J.J. Watt that's touchdown. A, that's a bold move, Cotton. That's a bull. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yep. J.J. Watt touchdown. 
I am going to call that J.J. Watt has two sacks. I'm going to call On the same that, play? Not, <laughs> no. J.J. Watt's going to get his two sacks. Okay, they're going to get their pound of flesh from us. It's going to happen. There's, there's going to be some turnovers. They're, they're the best at causing fumbles. You know, that's what they do. I foresee a low-scoring game. I'm thinking something in the ballpark of 14 to 13. Do you think are we going to maybe 17, 13? But I think it's going to be Buffalo Bills. I think the You're Bills taking my score. And I think the it. Bills dig deep. Okay, they've already pissed us off as fans. They're feeling the heat from it. They've all they've all heard it. This is one of our last shots at home. To really prove that we have something going this season. Because those those games that to end December, if they're meaningless, it's going to be quiet in that place. Nobody wants that. Now, are you going to the game on Sunday? I am. All right, good. And I don't want you to sell your ticket. Well, Oh, not only am I going. You'll be there at 6 a.m.? Not only am I going, I'm going to be keyed up. King of the rock pile. I, I dare you to try to find somebody louder than Drew Gear on Sunday. And if you're listening and you're in the rock pile, come find me. Come find you. You'll know the guy in the Darius jersey with the sunglasses on. Yep, he'll be <laughs> he'll be dropping back into heckling coverage. <laughs> for though for those of you who are like me and sit at home and watch the game, Buffalo to Syracuse. We'll get the game, all of Indiana and all of Texas, the exception of Dallas. Get to watch the Bills, 1 o'clock Sunday, CBS, Spiro Didis and Solomon Wilcott. Spiro! Hey! Sucks I'm not going to be around to hear it. At least we'll uh, get him on the calls next week for the show. Yeah, as long as we win. If Buffalo wins, I'll have some touchdown calls from him for our intro, but if not, I'll have... Spiro Adidas making J.J. Watt calls. Just like I said, <laughs> oh, Watt's, Watt's getting in the end zone. So now that we've talked about everything about the Bills and we've talked about football and the state of the AFC, I want to finish with something of an editorial here. And I know some of you guys may like it, may not. I don't give a damn. It's my podcast. I do and say what I want. All right? So <laughs> I want to touch on this, the, just the state of refereeing in the NFL. It's been a constant theme all season that the officiating has been poor. It's affected so many games this season, not just for the Buffalo Bills. I mean, just this past weekend, Bruce Arians, in his post-game conference, basically called out the refereeing staff saying that they don't know how to count because they gave a penalty. They threw a flag on the 49ers, whom the Arizona Cardinals were playing. They marked off the five-yard penalty and then lost track of what down it should have been and tried to tell him that it was the wrong down. And he kept arguing the fact that I should have three downs. That was This should be one, then two, then three, and they kept trying to claim it was four. And it took them almost four and a half minutes to figure it out. It's gotten worse this entire season and part of it might be become part of it might be because there's more scrutiny on it i mean that's what dean blandino and you know a lot of members of the nfl committee for officiating would like to have you believe is that it's simply because there's more attention being 
paid to it and that these types of screw-ups occurred all throughout history. Well, that's great. But there's some other, there's some things here that just can't be explained. How about this? This weekend, now I'm, I'm, I'm reading an article. I'm reading an article by Kevin Seifert of NFL Nation that he posted on ESPN talking about how referee Walt Coleman's crew this week, okay, Indian, Indianapolis Colts, Tampa Bay Buccaneers are playing a game. They pl- on, a, on a kick, okay, a field goal attempt, they penalized the safety for Chris Conti from the Buccaneers for leaping, okay, which is, it's a rarely called penalty. It means you tried to, you use one of your offensive linemen as leverage to jump over the line, which is a rarely called penalty. His article states it's only been counted three times since the start of the 2014 season. But then on the same play, they completely missed him just burying the kick holder, Pat McAfee. Upon further review, it turns out his leap was legal because he didn't touch anybody as he cleared the line. So what should have happened in that play is that the leap shouldn't have been called as a five-yard penalty. And instead, they should have flagged him for just hitting an undef- a defenseless player. And instead, they put the flag away in a climate where you're trying to you're trying to portray yourselves as being in the mind of player safety. It blows my mind that you can watch somebody just bury a defenseless player and not throw a flag for it and then call something as obscure as leaping on a kick. It's absurd. I, I, I don't know what to say about this. I mean, people have been talking about how it's, it's because of the turnover. It's, it's because of the turnover in the officiating you know, community for the NFL that's kind of drumming all this up. And if you look at it, you know, officiating roster by experience, we have 10 referees in the NFL that this is their very first year. And we have 13 of them that this is their second year. I could see where that might lead to some questionable calls, some things that, you know, some guys who seem just a little too gung-ho to get a flag out there or they think they see something that they saw at some other level of football and so they throw the flag when in reality that's not the way the game gets called. But you can't really blame it on that because if you look at the numbers, the 38 officials who've been doing this for 10 to 15 years, 27 from 16 to 20, and 10 of them from 21 to 27 years. So there's enough veteran presence in that room that these rookie referees can't be blamed for all of the mistakes that have been made. I mean, once again, think about this. The headlinesman for the Buffalo Bills game, where they blew the inadvertent whistle, his name's Ed Walker. He's been... He has been in the league for 12 years as an official. You cannot tell me that it's due to his inexperience. The fact is, is it's a lack of accountability. If you want to ask me what I honestly think, I think the fact that they allowed these referees to unionize, you can't fire them now. You can't fire them. You can't really penalize them other than demoting them from primetime games. There's not a whole lot the NFL can do. They're hamstrung when it comes to how to handle these referees. And it's it's ruining a game that it's ruining a game everybody loves. I'll admit it, and I think I alluded to it last week in my podcast. 
I shut the game off when I was trying to watch, you know, a meaningless game. If it wasn't for the Buffalo Bills, you know, I never turn the Buffalo Bills game off, even when I'm pissed off. But I was watching a game that I have no interest in. It was it was the Green Bay Minnesota game. And I see two calls get made. One was a headbutt that it was questionable at best it's a headbutt. But one of them was a roughing the passer call where the defensive lineman is not even looking at the quarterback and he bumps him. And Aaron Rodgers takes, you know, he takes a fall kind of like watching the World Cup soccer games when you see somebody take a fall. It was like that. And they immediately flagged the guy for 15 yards for no other reason than it's Aaron Rodgers. I've seen Tyrod Taylor get shoved around much worse than that and no flag be thrown. But to see a, a D tackle who really doesn't mean anything by it just bump a quarterback and watch the quarterback take a dive and they throw the flag with just almost immediately, I had to shut the game off because at that point I knew how the game was going to end. This is how they're going to play it. This is how it's going to end. The young players on the Vikings don't have the savvy to you know, try to fake their way into penalties, and ultimately Green Bay is going to win. These calls and these blown these the Chris Hogan catch is a perfect example of it. You blow a call in the NFL as far as what is and what isn't a catch. It's, it's one of the most, I mean, the guy took four steps. It's one of the most easily noted things. Just look at where possession started, where it ended. And they called it an incomplete pass. The, I don't know whether it's the complexity of NFL rulebook, whether the referees just don't care because they've gotten complacent, or whether they're too young. But the fact is the NFL has to do something about this because it's, it's watering down a game that everyone loves, and it's ruining it for us. You know, If you're a football purist, you can't be happy with what's going on out there. My question to you this week is, what do you all think about it? What do you think about the state of officiating? What do you think about the Bills' chances? Where do you think we're going to end up in the playoff race? Get at us on Twitter. Let us know. Email us. We're, we want to open up a mailbag. All I need is for somebody to talk to me. You know? You can find us on Twitter at Rockpile Report. You can get at us at Gmail. It's rockpilereport 716 at gmail.com. Or... You can just follow us on the Facebook, which is facebook.com slash the Rockpile Report. Chris, anything else you want to add here? I'll be listening to the game called by Spiro Adidas, and you won't. <laughs> oh, Spiro! Spiro Adidas, Solomon Wilcots. All right, folks. Sunday at 1, CBS. We're going to wrap this thing up. In closing, roll damn tide. Let's go out there and kick some Florida ass this week. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger, and this has been the Rockpile Report.